and welcome to The Mummer's Farce, the podcast about the visual production of HBO's Game of Thrones. I'm Kate Berry. I'm Dan Solberg. And today we'll be talking about episodes five and six of season six, The Door and Blood of My Blood, uh, which are both directed by Jack Bender, who is another newcomer. The last two episodes we did for last week were directed by Daniel Sackheim, whom we hadn't seen before, and the same is true of this week's episode. Yeah. How do you like Jack Bender? I think that these turned out pretty well for the most part. I think The Door is probably the strongest episode we've seen this season. Yeah. And our the second one, Blood of My Blood, I may put that in line with, say, like Book of the Stranger and things we mm-hmm. had last time where it's got some good stuff in it, but it's got some other stuff that's a little kind of just middling and yeah. maybe sets us up for, I don't know, both these episodes I feel like also seeing what comes next with some of the plots. I think some of, there's some good stuff in here that sets us up for a little bit of disappointment later mm-hmm. um, because some things are executed on pretty well here. It's it's nice to see this is a pair of episodes with Arya at the play and sort of see that not be complete, but more or less come to a, a wraparound conclusion mm-hmm. for, the, for the little vignette of time that we're there. But uh, other stuff doesn't doesn't pan out quite so well. Yeah, especially with that storyline. I agree. And of course, the ending of The Door is is famous and, mm. and good. The ending of Blood of My Blood, while I think impressive, is in terms of the story redundant because we sort of already had that yeah. when she burnt on the temple. Yeah, they're, they're sort of are, uh, treading a bit of water here with figuring out what to do with Daenerys. I mean, we'll get there when we get there, but yeah. I was sort of like, yes, we've already established that they're loyal to her. Yeah. <laughs> but... Otherwise, yeah, some stuff that I really like. We get to meet new people, see new locations, have a good time, but some things fall a little flat. Yeah. Would you please get us started off with a summary of The Door? Sure thing. Sansa meets with Littlefinger in Molestown. She chastises his poor judgment and berates him for giving her to the Boltons. Littlefinger apologizes profusely, but also gives her information about the Blackfish retaking River Run. Sansa refuses his offer to have the Vale support her claim to Winterfell. Later, Jon, Sansa, Davos, and Melisandre plot out the prospects for mounting an assault on Winterfell. Sansa mentions about the Blackfish, but does not reveal her source. They also agree to set out to recruit the smaller houses. Sansa sends Brienne to River Run. She also sews Jon a fur cloak like the one Ned used to wear. Arya continues her training in the House of Black and White, and Jockin gives her a new assignment to kill a member of a theater troupe. Arya watches the play, which is a body, inaccurate retelling of the first couple seasons of the show. Arya wanders backstage and identifies which of the performers is her target, Lady Crane. At the King's Moot, Yara stakes her claim to rule the Iron Islands. Theon also speaks in her support. However, Euron Greyjoy appears and also makes a claim. He admits to killing Balon and says that he'll build a fleet as well, but he'll use it to seduce Daenerys Targaryen and team with her to conquer Westeros. This wins him the votes, and Yara and Theon flee during his coronation. Euron commands construction of the fleet to begin immediately. Jorah reveals his grayscale to Daenerys, and she commands him to find a cure. Peace has come to Marine, but Tyrion wants to make sure people don't forget Daenerys. He and Varys meet with a red priestess named Kinvara, who says she'll spread the word, but is also pretty creepy toward Varys, claiming that she knows of the sorcerer that mutilated him. In a vision, Bran sees the creation of the first White Walker as a child of the forest plunges a shard of dragonglass into the heart of a man. 
Later, Bran grabs the vision tree while everyone is sleeping and comes into contact with the Night King, who grabs his arm. This marks Bran and allows the Night King to enter the cave. The White Walkers and zombies arrive to fight their way in. They kill children of the forest, including Leaf, Summer, and the Three-Eyed Raven. In his vision, and back in time in Winterfell, Bran works into young, young Willis and uses him to control Hodor in the present. This helps he and Mira escape. He then keeps Hodor back, holding the door against the zombies, while Bran and Mira get some distance from them. Hodor dies in the encounter, and young Willis in the vision has a seizure that morphs his words, hold the door, into Hodor. Yeah. So, this was definitely a... I mean, I guess kudos to the writers and uh, Jack Bender here for having a brand-heavy episode that that works. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy to pull off. Yeah. Even though Bran is uh, not necessarily the most active participant in the whole affair, but... No. Which maybe is for the best. <laughs> maybe that's why it works so well. <laughs> so we start out with Sansa, and the opening shot of this is Sansa sewing what I imagine is the cloak that she's going to give to Ned, or sorry, give to Ned, the cloak she's going to give to John eventually. Um, we don't know that quite yet till the end of our time at the wall here. And she gets this message from Littlefinger, and this is definitely like the show having to tie up some alternate paths that they've gone down mm-hmm. with with things here as opposed to the book storyline how do you think that this altercation goes in your opinion i think i have a better sense of it now than i did then so sansa is very angry with Littlefinger. she threatens to have brienne kill him mm-hmm. um she makes him at exhaustive length sort of imagine the things that ramsay did to her it's unpleasant for mm-hmm. him and for us but she ultimately lets him live and and takes information from him and when he gets in a little jab about John being her half brother she doesn't really respond and i think at the time i'm now i'm realizing that i just have never given sixth season sansa enough credit because i think i was always like oh is she like does she have weird conflicted romantic feelings mm. for littlefinger and i think it's more clear to me now that she she is hoping to be able to use him and the Knights of the Vale in the future. And that's why she's keeping him alive. That it's out yeah. of sort of this, that she's learned from him politically. And that she's like, I have to keep my options open. I have to keep people alive so that I can sort of use them later. But that was not clear to me the first time. And so I just didn't understand her motivation. I think it's more clear to me now, especially she's like branding herself the Stark, right? She's like, yeah. every, with her sewing and everything being wolf. And we'll see later that she's really convinced that the northern houses will support the name stark she's mm-hmm. leaning really hard into that and so i think i understand a little bit more now at the time it was confusing to me and then it also allows her to send brand north which i think is actually a pretty nicely done way to sort of get back a little bit onto the track of the books yeah i said to send her south right you said north but... oh no <laughs> no she has no reason to send brand north obviously <laughs> to send her south to the riverlands mm-hmm. is more where she is in the books mm-hmm. what about you yeah, it's. I, I think Littlefinger's reactions here are pretty interesting. He, I think he mounts a, a relatively, I don't know, relatively weak apology. He seems like he's guarding himself a little bit. Like after Sansa goes through her whole spiel that he's trying to get Littlefinger to sort of sit through and admit to and all these kinds of things, he just ultimately says like, "I am so sorry," and that's basically as deep as he gets. I mean. Mm-hmm. She, he has the whole thing about, you know, whatever you want, I will do. But essentially, this, 
I think Sansa also kind of pulls back here because it still feels like this is all potentially happening on Littlefinger's terms. Mm -hmm. And she wants to be the one to make the commands and be dictating the flow of things. So she's smart enough to sort of see big picture here that Littlefinger kind of humiliating himself or humbling himself in front of her is actually can be a power move for Littlefinger. And it's it's a way of saying, like, I can get back into your good graces no matter what. And so she refuses him, essentially saying, like, no, that's not going to work this time. And, you know, at least as far as this pair of episodes is concerned, I can pretty easily get on board with Sansa's motivations here and, and not wanting the veil to come help. Because at this point, it still seems like hey, the odds are a little bit against us, but we can perhaps rally these other northern houses to us and mm. we don't need the veil, right? We we and, can do this without foreigners coming in. And she doesn't want to let Littlefinger sort of burrow himself into the north, mm-hmm. which is, he is sort of sticking his neck out in this way that if Cersei were to find out or someone in King's Landing were to find out, he might have to, he might have to sort of barricade himself in the north and align mm-hmm. himself with the northern cause in a way that she doesn't want him to have that sort of hiding space, mm-hmm. I think. But... Yeah, so it's it's more clear to me now. At the time, I, w- I was just, I, like I said, I underestimated her. I was mm-hmm. like, has she not had enough of this guy yet? Yeah. But I think I've got a better idea of why she did it now. I think he's, you know, I think him saying the half-brother thing still kind of gets in there, though, right? Mm-hmm. She's She puts up the wall, but she's got a couple chinks in the armor, and he's able to, to still find his way in a little bit because we see that manifest later when she doesn't reveal her source and... Brienne posits this maybe it's because she doesn't actually trust John as much as she says she does. And I think it's that she wants to be the one to rule. And mm-hmm. I sort of, and this is again where I feel like I'm sort of guilty toward season six Sansa, is why shouldn't she, right? Mm-hmm. I think because John has shown himself to be like, I and mean, he's like the uber leader, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, he's selfless and he's he's Game of Thrones Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, so at the finale of the season when he is declared king of the North, why is it him instead of her? Yeah. And I think that I sort of fell into the same thing where I was like, well, she should move aside for John because John is our protagonist. Yeah. But that's not really fair. Mm. Why should that be true? Yeah. But it's, I don't know that the show also has like a strong point of view on it because they don't seem to think that her jockeying for power is bad. They don't portray it in that way, mm-hmm. but they also don't make it very clear that that's what she's doing necessarily. She doesn't say like, no, I want the North to be mine, yeah. not John's. And perhaps that's just because they're sort of juggling so many plot lines mm-hmm. at once. It's sort of hard to understand anything in priority to something else. Everything just, yeah. it's, it's kind of a flat landscape of being like, here are a billion characters. <laughs> and they're all doing stuff. Yeah. So then yeah. when you have them coming together, it's some of the, I think some of the kind of more subtle motivations get lost in the mix. And I think hers, I made the mistake of thinking that hers were muddled when they were just nuanced mm-hmm. or or subtle. And then, but then there's like arias, which become actually muddled. Right. I think that they were, to, I, I sort of thought that they had just like lost their way with the Stark women. That I'm like, <laughs> they do not know what they're trying to say, but it's really just Arya. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could continue with, with Sansa and the Wall here because we have this meeting later where they're all looking at a map and they're trying to figure out who to go where. Davos is apparently just very helpful now. Just he is yeah, without question. Just like I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna serve you for whatever reason. Like yeah, it's unclear why he would do any of that. And they kind of hint that 
again, it's almost like kind of Easter egg sort of thing where they're talking about the Mandalays a lot, and it seems like, oh, maybe they'll have to send Davos to talk to the Mandalays. And so that's a very book thing that Stannis sends him there, mm-hmm. and that sort of sets in motion a bunch of stuff that would have already happened timeline-wise uh, within this story. Well, I guess it could be happening now. And that's not going to be the case, though. They don't even kind of follow through on the Mandalay specifically. They're like, well, we can rally the smaller houses. Right. And also, we're Stansa has this thing about River Run, so maybe we can get them to come too. Right, right. And then this is where, again, the Sansa is a little bit, is she naive? Or she certainly, she has this belief in the Stark name, where she says that people in the North will risk everything yeah. for the Stark name. And I think Davos here is actually more correct, that people are people wherever, mm-hmm. and they're not really excited to, what did he say, see his see their family skinned alive for a yeah. lost cause. Yeah. So I this is... Where this is like she's she's nuanced. She's she's not. I mean, the Starks are definitely better than the Boltons, but she's mm-hmm. also got this like sense of that everyone is obligated to put her back in Winterfell in a mm-hmm. way that like, what have you done for them? Right. Why should they? Why should they risk their lives for you? Yeah. I don't know that if she has ever really been confronted with. I mean, I know that when I'm so excited for Little Lady Mormont. Yeah. But she will sort of bring it up, but I don't know that it's ever answered satisfactorily. It's like, what has Sansa done to sort of justify people dying to get her into a position of power right you know i think she does some some positive things once she is mm-hmm. ruling things and when we get to this uh, season seven we see her kind of commanding things you know, oh you're pretty good at this yeah oh but for sure it's like well maybe somebody else would have been good at it too but <laughs> you're the one that got put in charge because because of your name yeah. right yeah no and, she's not incompetent and she's not cruel but that also you don't just get to ask people to die on your behalf because you feel like you deserve it. Mm-hmm. It is maybe a little bit of that Cersei undercurrent coming in. And who has she learned from? She's learned from Cersei. She's learned from Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. And she has kind of latched on to their motivations to a certain degree. And sort of how can we kind of get back at the ones who wronged us? And it's by asserting power in these kinds of ways. So... They won't get into it until next season where they talk about John talks to her and it's like, oh, it almost seems like you admire Cersei. Mm-hmm. And, but I think there's undercurrents of that here yeah. already. Yeah. She gives John this cloak that looks like Ned's. And I almost wonder if this is, it's a nice gesture, but I almost wonder if it's kind of like a, like a, a not a poisoned gift, but kind of like a propaganda sort of thing. I agree. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, hey, you'd really look good in this. Like, <laughs> maybe you should be, uh, you know, getting back to your homeland, huh? You don't you want your castle back? Yeah. Ned, yeah. I mean, John, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also funny because I think I remember in the seventh season where she says something about that as much as she loves and misses Ned and Rob, that they were stupid. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of funny to give John Ned's clothes yeah. to be like, be like Ned. Be stupid right now. Don't think about this. <laughs> Just go do it. That's yeah, what yeah. father would have done. Yeah. But she'll she'll change on that soon. Yeah. But at this moment, she's like, no, I need you to pull a Ned right now. I need you to go in with a sword and no brains. Mm-hmm. Also, man, she's been busy with, yeah. the, with the needle and thread. Like, yeah. Her dress looks when, amazing. I don't know when that happened, but <laughs> she's been at it. Yeah. Apparently, they've been at the wall for months. Yeah. Well... She's just plotting and sewing and yeah. sewing and plotting. Mm-hmm. And Ed is left to be... Right. I guess I, 
either acting Lord Commander or actually actual Lord Commander. Mm-hmm. But I that was that was fun where he just sort of looks around and accepts it. Like there's actually nobody left. Yeah, <laughs> like, it has to be. It's you because otherwise we have nobody in charge. Yeah, you're the only named character we have left at the wall. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we skip over to Arya? Yeah. In Bravos. Yeah. So first we have more training montage. She's getting better at the stave, and then they just go bare knuckle at some point. <laughs> yeah. So that looked painful. It um, did. The waif is the waif is tough. Yeah, she's scrappy. I would not want to fight the waif. And then there's a sort of uh, something that's either a lie by Jacken or just a divergence from the books. This idea that a little bit of the background of the faceless men that they founded Bravos, which in the books is not true, mm. although they were important to the sort of rise of Bravos. And there's an interesting little tidbit that that no noblemen were the first faceless men. And so again, there's this sort of, as with the Sparrow movement, I think a little bit of like positioning, like this is how the small folk are able to make changes, yeah. is being the faceless, nameless masses that are not connected to grand houses or legacy but we we just kill the people who get in our way yeah and maybe you know the denarius situation in some ways is almost meant to be kind of like this alliance between the great houses and the people right mm-hmm. so free the slaves and so then the freedmen uh, rally to behind denarius as as the ruler here and they're gonna fight together right mm-hmm. although mm-hmm. It, ultimately denarius quest to head west is kind of like not necessarily in the interest of the f- the freed slaves, because there's not even slavery over in Westeros, but right. as far as Slaver's Bay is concerned, you can at least see those working in tandem. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that that was that was interesting, and she's she's sent to to murder Lady Crane, and we get to see the play, which I think is called The Bloody Hand. Okay, I had no idea. Um, I think it is from a perspective chapter from Winds of Winter. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and so I think it's a play called The Bloody Hand. And I actually love this. I think that this mm. is so well done. It really gets at the essence of like a a medieval play mm-hmm. or, or a, a Shakespeare play, something a little later. And then it also plays with this idea of like memory and propaganda and history and how like how people an ocean away would understand the events that are happening only a couple years after they've happened. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. Yeah. At first, sometimes it seemed like it would goes on for a bit, but it, it's definitely like a play constructed to get Arya's reactions to these things, mm-hmm. you know, seeing Ned's death and how Ned is being portrayed as a sort of buffoon and usurper of power. And Joffrey is actually a little bit more of a, a righteous ruler. And I guess, yeah, I don't even have too much about this one. I have more about sort of the second half mm-hmm. when we get to the back part. But, you know, Arya is a little bit kind of re-traumatized when they have the beheading and they toss out this this fake head for ned and then i think maybe the most telling is when Tyrion, a fake actor Tyrion, takes actor sansa away and you know rips her blouse open Mm -hmm. and there seems to be a reaction shot then of Arya that is almost like maybe i've been misjudging sansa and i haven't quite given her the credit for what she's been through yeah i think that that's there or this feeling of like I don't know, because Arya is, even though she's a woman, she's, like, not treated as a woman by most mm-hmm. people. She she sort of, like, is able to avoid some of the dangers mm-hmm. that other women face in this world. But Sansa has not been able to. And, and I don't know that she's ever thought about it in that way before. Yeah. And also, perhaps it's 
a realization that if Sansa is still alive somewhere, which the play leaves open-ended mm-hmm. by the end of it, it actually, th- that's one thing that I'll comment on the end. Like, it's interesting that you said it's called The Bloody Hand because I was kind of wondering, like, why the play ends when it does. It seems like mm-hmm. maybe a weird place for it to end, but if it's framed around Tyrion, I think so. maybe it makes a little bit more sense. But perhaps there's also a little bit of, like, the overarching motivation over the course of these two episodes to essentially reassert herself as Arya Stark to then feel like maybe Sansa's still out there and alive. Maybe I have somebody else out there who I can relate to as a Stark. So maybe there's a little bit of that too. Yeah, I think there probably is. And so she she figures out that the rum would be the best way to get at Lady Crane and then she goes back to Jack and to say the plan. But you can see that she's not happy about it. And he can see it too, because she's like, oh, she seems nice. Do we really have to kill her? (laughs) Yeah, a servant does not ask questions, he says. Right. So then we go to the Iron Islands, and we have the King's Moot, which is okay. Yeah. It's a very cool scene in the books, and I was a little disappointed in the way that it goes down here. It makes, seeing it again... It makes sense for the show and and what they're trying to get these characters to do, though they, I think, miss the mark on on Euron this season in general. Yeah. And definitely here as well. Yeah. And I I wonder, though, if they were, I mean, I don't think they were worried about it in this most recent season, of making Iron Irelanders too Mm piratey. That, like, so they, they didn't give Euron his eye patch. I don't know how they would have felt about having the, like, all these casks of loot Mm-hmm. That like they're that are brought out that it might buried have, treasure. Yes, it might. They might have. It might have. It might have come off a little cartoonish, which mm-hmm. it does not in the in the books. I I really like the scene mm-hmm. in the books, but I have been thinking about like the the visuals of it, and it might have it might have been a little Jack Sparrow. Yeah, which is probably not where how they wanted <laughs> to come off, and so that that may have been why they toned everything down a little bit. It's not. Although I think they went full Pirates of the Caribbean mm-hmm. in se- season seven. Yeah which was not a good thing. <laughs> right. In general, I would say this season, and to a certain degree a little bit, at least they give Euron a little bit more of a charisma next mm-hmm. season. But this season, there's nothing like particularly frightening about him or like he's just a strong guy. Yeah. And, and he's, you know, a little bit off his rocker and he's And he admits aggressive. to kin killing. Yeah. But other th- yeah, but he's supposed to be something like that, that we like we've never seen a man like that yeah. before <laughs> he's supposed to be like like a demon <laughs> yeah and the way that he's able to convince people almost feels like it's some sort of like dark magic at work um, which he uses or, right. or at least in, he has like warlocks and sorcerers and he keep he keeps really strange company mm-hmm. and it, in the books he also has this the dragon binder horn which mm-hmm. they've just kind of eliminated all the horns in the show although i guess I don't remember how to say the actor who plays Euron's name. P- Pilu? Yeah, I, th- I don't know how to say it, but that's okay. what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> that he, in in an interview, hinted that there was a horn, mm-hmm. but they maybe don't have room for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, he also hinted before season seven, like, oh, you're going to think that Euron is like so much worse than Ramsay, and then they really didn't do anything with it. So, yeah, that's true. You're right. He maybe has uh, just an elevated idea of like <laughs> who Euron is right. in the show. I mean, if you read the books, you would probably think the same way too. Yeah. Because like Euron does do far more horrible things, and I don't know. They particularly after he wins this, 
and then he goes through the coronation, which finally they did a, a scene of actually the the drowning. What I like to refer to as drowning and crowning. <laughs> Man, they really should have said that. <laughs> First we drown him, then we crown him. But he gets up and he asks where his niece and nephew are and says, let's go murder them. And it's the like lamest line I could think of for a character like well, that. Well, and also like... And it's it's in the books, but like with his driftwood crown, mm-hmm. it just looks everything everything about it looks super lame. Yeah, I did. I mean, I liked the drowning scene. I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. I like seeing the sort of religious rites of these different cultures on you know. So that I think is well done. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a dumb line. And then he also sounds crazy, but not in the like correct way, where he's like, "Builds me a thousand ships from." All of the zero wood that is on the Iron Islands. <laughs> Got down every tree around you. Well, there's only like two of them. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many ships this is going to build. This is a feeding for the 5,000 situation here. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They don't, he doesn't have a unique costume. He's wearing the same armor and uh, which coat make, as everyone else. Which doesn't actually make that much sense because Yara's major point against him is that he hasn't been an Iron Islander, mm. that he has been gallivanting yeah. all over the world. And so he should look exotic. Instead of just looking like every other sort of like salt-stained dude yeah. on Pike, and he's like he frumps his way up to the top of the hill. <laughs> it's just like ah, this guy, what a mischaracterization of of what this this could be. And they do course correct between seasons here because I don't even know that we see Euron again this season. I don't honestly. think so. And so this is all we kind of get of him, and it's it doesn't set us up to think that he's a major player, really. Right. And it doesn't help that his plan, which is to take a thousand ships that don't exist and go to Marine mm-hmm. and marry Daenerys and get her dragons and take over Westeros, that we'll see that... I mean, and this is sort of similar to what happens to books, that, that someone is going to try to do it before he does, mm-hmm. uh, right? His a brother, which doesn't even exist in the show, is going to try to beat Euron to the punch. Mm-hmm. But it'll be Yara and Theon who get there, and we, we won't see any more of Euron. So that makes it seem like he couldn't bring this plan a plan to fruition. Yeah. Like, it, I don't know. It, he looks sort of incapable, which is not something that I would call him in the books. Right. Yeah. And uh, on the other hand, Yara's plan is a little open-ended. She tries to say, like, we're going to build this great fleet. We're sea people. Okay, well, what are you wanting to do with all these ships exactly? Because the she also doesn't think that Balon had the best ideas mm-hmm. and that we should be trying to raid into the mainland and or do trying all the stuff. Castles. But like, what are you going to do with your fleet? Like, what are you going to do with a giant military armada if not try and attack people with it? Yeah. I mean, you can raid the fishing villages, sure. You don't need a giant fleet for that. And you're already doing that. Yeah. So I, I think that... Euron smartly sees an opportunity to be like, she wants to build a ship, bunch of ships. Yeah, I'll build a bunch of ships too, but I'm actually going to do something with them and yeah. not just like give you guys labor <laughs> to do. We're actually going to better our status in the world. Yeah. So maybe neither of them for King. <laughs> maybe uh, neither. <laughs> but yeah, so there were parts of that that I really liked, and then a lot of it was just was sort of a head scratcher. Mm-hmm. Speaking of... What to me is also a sort of murky motivation. Daenerys, again, has this sort of conflict of what do you do with Jorah, mm-hmm. right? That she's like, I've sent you away twice and you've saved, my, you've saved me. Like, what do, I, what do you do with, what, what do I do about <laughs> this man? And he reveals 
One, that he loves her. And two, that he's got grayscale. And then all of a sudden, this seems to be the game changer. That she's just like choked up. You must heal yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you must come back to me because I need you by my side when I go to Westeros. That apparently that just finding out that he was in grave danger Mm -hmm. was enough to be like, ah, I've made up my mind. I need you here always. Yeah. Which seemed capricious to me. Also, Jorah didn't do very much. (laughs) Uh, Dario did most of the work. Yeah. And, yeah, so there's that. No, I'm... I thought that was dumb. It was sort of... She was just like, oh, no, Jorah may die. Like... Like she was just like, oh, I need, to, I need to like make sure he's still into me, mm-hmm. so I need to give him this quest. Yeah, he was already leaving. Worth noting, he was already yeah. like, I should not be here. I can't be with you. Yeah, and she's like, Don't just leave to leave. <laughs> I'm, I command you to leave and go do this. Yeah. So I thought that was lame. And then at the same time, there's this conversation in Marine about. It's been more peaceful since they've made the pact with the slavers of the other cities. Mm-hmm. And Tyrion wants people to know that this was somehow Daenerys's idea, that she is responsible for the peace. Right. And then we meet the very important character, whom we both remember a lot. <laughs> Say it together. Kinvara. <laughs> and I like this character. Me too. Sure wish they did something with her. <laughs> And she seems to be so powerful. You mentioned that she has like intimate knowledge of what happened with Varys. She also says, oh, but Tyrion, you've already heard this on the bridge at Volantis. So mm-hmm. that was, there was this moment with another Red Priestess. So she seems to be all-knowing, mm-hmm. very powerful. But I feel like we have no idea what she actually yeah. does. She comes off as this red god equivalent of like almost a three-eyed raven of sorts. Or definitely she has her spies and she's mm-hmm. able to, to get her information. But also seems like there's got to be some sort of magic at work. Because to know what the sorcerer did to Varys, like nobody was there. It's right. not something that, that people were able to witness. And to say, like, I know who said it. Also, a huge tease that is not paid off. That, yeah. Like, to have so many big things where it's like, Especially for even a book reader to be like, oh, I, I would love to know mm-hmm. what that was all about. And then no follow through. Yeah. Not, not, not this episode, but not even later. Yeah. That I remember. So. No, I don't think, I don't, I don't know that we, we may have one more scene with her, I maybe, where she's like, I've done it. Yeah. But other than that, I don't think we see her again. We have no mm. idea what she's doing. And uh, I understand that probably other people are not that interested in like, what is the organization and the hierarchy of like the religion of the red god? But I do have some sort of interest in like, what is she doing? And even the conflict between her naming Daenerys as Azor High and then Melisandre on the other continent saying first it was Stannis and then mm. she'll say it's John. Like, there's actually a conflict here that is important to our story and it's not really addressed in any way. How many other potential saviors are out there? You never know. And does every priest just get to like claim, <laughs> claim whomever the they're with? <laughs> Is that like, like, well, I'm with this guy. I think it's this guy. <laughs> we're, we're playing the field here in the red, in the red church. One of us is going to be right. Yeah. yeah. So that was a weird, but she, she has a great presence and mm-hmm. I really like her as a red priestess, but totally underutilized. And if they're not, if they weren't going to use her, what is the point? Because Tyrion's problem, like people need to know Daenerys did this. She didn't. You did this. Yeah. So it could be a non-issue. It doesn't have to be something that he cares so much about. Right. It could just be like, we, we, ah, it's peaceful now. Cool. 
and I hope Danny comes back soon. And also, it's like the red priests and priestesses were doing this already. I yeah, we so, already saw them preaching. Like <laughs> Daenerys has come to save you, but it's not just her job. Like you need to save yourselves, kind of a thing. So I guess maybe it's just also hey, bring, pull into your sermons also mm-hmm. that she that she's the reason why it's peaceful now. I guess is is the one little ad- addition they're able to convince yeah. her to make. Also, the lead up to the scene has Tyrion using repeating various line of who said anything about him, and it's just like that's it's a dumb callback to make. We don't like it wasn't that great of a line to begin with, and to also then have that about a character that we haven't met yet. So it's like who said anything about him, and it's just like and we're like who? <laughs> we don't oh, know. there's okay, sure, yeah, yeah. There's a red lady we've never met yeah. before. Yeah, so. That one I thought was kind of a flop. Yeah, I, mainly because there's no follow-through on it. Mm-hmm. I thought it sparked a lot of intrigue, and I kind of liked where it could be going. And I think Tyrion is actually probably the best we've seen him this season in that scene, not necessarily the one leading up to it, mm-hmm. but in that one where he just is sort of playing the, like, poking his head around the corner and being like, oh, uh, yeah. We lo- it's okay. Yeah, you're doing a great job out there. Don't listen to what he has to say. He's yeah. he's uh, yeah. he's a little, you know, he gets excited. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe that's why they had the scene. Maybe yeah, I guess they're so. like we are underusing Peter Dinklage this season. Mm-hmm. So I think mostly what is left in the episode is the brand show. Right. Yeah, we have the the one scene earlier where he's in the vision and sees the white walkers being created. Mhm. What do you th- what did you think of this reveal? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's cool that we get to see it. I mean, you know, it eliminates a certain amount of mystery, but I think it would potentially open doors to dig into that a little bit more and dig into who the White Walkers are and and what are their motivations here. Are they purely just weapons? Mm -hmm. Or they seem like they have turned on the children of the forest. It's a little bit, I think, I mean, maybe we'll find out or maybe we never will, but I think the way that I'm able to sort of get my head around it is maybe a, a Frankenstein's monster mm. sort of situation that they they made this thing because, I mean, I guess this is not in parallel with the <laughs> with the book, but like out of desperation. Yeah. But then maybe they somehow rejected their creation and then that creation decided to kill them. Yeah. It's definitely a, a weapon gone out of control. Sure. Yeah. And... So it's 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 hunting them now. Um, I, I like the way that the scene is colored. Yeah, it feels very otherworldly and fantastical, and it it paints a picture of that environment north of the wall it, in the same way that the the tree that the the big weirwood tree that they're underneath, uh, when Brain would see that in visions, had this kind of like otherworldly colors with this kind of sunset on it. And, impossibly bright reds and things like that here the land is still covered in grass and so that green is still kind of like impossibly lush and yeah every, all the colors are extremely rich in a way that speaks to i think perhaps the way that the world used to look like when it was still being dominated by the children of the forest yeah you're right i don't know that i noticed it consciously but that gives mm-hmm. such a sense of like this was a different kind of place mm-hmm. before people came mm-hmm. or like during the fight with right. men yeah. They have the spiral again, very uh, significant. I guess. <laughs> the show sure seems to think so. We've been having these symbols since season And now one. we know what they are. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> and also they, they go back and they show from the first episode of the whole show, 
and they didn't have the spiral then actually it was some other symbol that yeah. they, they, they used so they messed up i know it was like a circle with with a lines. line through it or something yeah yeah i think it was the prince logo <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're big prince fans yeah okay and then bran has his like i don't know dirtbag teen moment he's or- literally also pulling and messing in the dirt <laughs> And decides to go have visions without the help of the Three-Eyed Raven. Mm-hmm. And it goes poorly. He throws a rock at him to <laughs> see if he's asleep. <laughs> yeah. And he comes to essentially the same place, mm-hmm. but seemingly present day. Or, or thereabouts, mm-hmm. anyway. And sees the, the zombie army and kind of just walks through him and is sort of observing. And I was a little surprised that there weren't any... A kind of like a zombie version of maybe a character that we would recognize like I in keep the waiting for that group. but I haven't ever noticed it surely it will happen at some point yeah the closest we have is going to be the Benjamin thing but not quite what I was thinking yeah I keep waiting so like I know I really liked Carsey from mm-hmm. uh, the hard home episode I keep waiting to see her people um, after this episode people were maybe expecting to see a Hodor white and then they teased a wound wound white which never happened yeah so yeah they haven't really I keep I do keep waiting for that, especially since they love bring, bringing back familiar faces. But I don't mm-hmm. think they've ever done it with anyone that I've actually recognized. No, not the not. Surely it's got to be on the way. Somebody is going to be a zombie mm-hmm. in the final season, and that's going to be a confrontation. Yeah, that'll be like, oh no, it's zombie Cersei. I don't know. <laughs> it could be anybody. That would that would be I, a shock. <laughs> I. It could be coming. Yeah. No, and it should be. The Night's King who's being built out as as the character that we recognize now. We've seen him a couple different times. Mm-hmm. We saw him last season. And it's also the same actor that played the, the human who was turned into the first White Walker. Kind of tough to tell. They've It's kind of, you see it in the face, so there's so much makeup there, it's, it's sort of hard to tell. Yeah. It just yeah. so kind of takes being told, oh, mm-hmm. it's the same guy. Grabs Bran by the arm, which marks him. He has actually like like a dark indention mm-hmm. or print that's been made on his wrist when he comes back and the three-eyed raven says like asks you know did he did he touch you and bran's like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> bran would be that punk in like a zombie apocalypse that wouldn't hide from other people that it's he fine. got that he was bitten he'd no, be no, like it, no it was a scratch i was already bleeding <laughs> he would have the tech he doesn't do it but he essentially pretty much says here like no he touched my sleeve he didn't touch my skin it's just my my sleeve no no skin contact yeah he'd be like i'm not it i'm not it <laughs> no you touched you only i didn't do my anything shirt. wrong you only touched my shirt um yeah and then with that was all it took to really for things to go to hell mm-hmm. at the at the tree yeah so everything sort of falls apart this is a, must have been a very complicated I mean, the, to watch the anatomy of a scene. Yeah. I even I just this fact like just totally shocked me that the children of the forest that like Leaf her makeup took nine hours. Yeah. That's so she was like they would pick me up at midnight, and then they would put my makeup on all night, and then we'd start at like ten a.m. And I that's just insane. I mean, yeah. Imagine preparing to and then still having to perform. Right. Then after that. For who knows how long. Who knows how many days. They didn't say how many days they would have to do that. But you imagine they don't get that all done in one day. Yeah. So. And a lot of the a lot of their scenes for this a lot of, for this sequence are very active. They're being like mm. thrown about. Um, so it, I, I'm sure they were really tired. Yeah. I hope they all took like a three-day nap afterwards. Yeah. 
it was it was something else the production of this it's so many different things that they are shooting repetitions of camera movements Mm -hmm. repetitions of camera angles and then compositing it all together so like the the one of the ones they go into great detail is the approach of the white walkers towards the opening of the cave is like explosions shot on one hand people being flung from wires on one hand the white walkers walking in front on another one mm-hmm. everything having a green screen background and so that's being cg'd in snow blowing in front is being cg'd in and it's like five or six different layers of of imagery and different things being composited together all into one they talked about the difficulty of fighting in the under the root space that, mm-hmm. that when they first showed it um they didn't really know that they were going to be fighting in it yeah. and so that caused a lot of issues then they have the sort of amazing uh sequence where you have the whites crawling on every surface of the tunnel mm-hmm. um towards brandon Mir and hodor so yeah complicated well done looks really good mm-hmm. the, i mean i still think the children's grenades are kind of stupid but yes. um <laughs> they in the like making of thing they they almost seem like they know that they're, they're stupid and they're like and the the children of the forest have these round grenades, which have been established at this point. <laughs> it's like they sort of deny responsibility for being like someone already had chosen this. They chose this last like two seasons ago, so we we're gonna use the grenades again. They, the children have grenades. It's it's canon. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the emotional weight of Bran seeing Willis become Hodor mm-hmm. and knowing that he's responsible, and then having Hodor block the door so that Mira and Bran can get away. Yeah. I was a little confused as to the timing of the way some of this plays out. Like, Bran's in the vision. He's sort of... Conceivably, the Three-Eyed Raven has taken him here because he knows this is the vision that Bran needs to see Mm -hmm. to have access to Willis. Right. Right. To have the... What is it called? Like a time loop? Yeah. And so he wargs into Willis, seemingly, but... Willis doesn't immediately sort of fall to the ground when that happens. He controls Hodor in present time, and they make their escape. R.I.P. Summer. R.I.P. Yeah. Leaf. Yeah. And Three-Eyed Raven. R.I.P. Three-Eyed Raven as well, though he gets a cool death. Right. <laughs> That's a really neat explosion that they sort of explosion into this almost uh, like ashen mist. Yeah. But with also the look, I think, of a raven's wing. It's a mm. little bit... It's... Yeah. It's cool. And then... So they're making their escape. They finally get on the other side of the door as all the zombies are crawling towards them. And it's at that point when Mira starts saying, hold the door, that's when Willis' eyes gloss over Mm -hmm. and he drops to the ground. But not before that point. I was a little confused on second viewing here as to why that was the thing that did it and not necessarily Bran warging into him. I think I've read some explanation that it's actually that young willis it's the trauma of that he's somehow connected to the moment of his own death Mm. and so that maybe that's when he actually starts dying Mm. is when his brain just like can't handle it anymore i don't know i'm not sure though (laughs) i'll buy that (laughs) but that somehow that the loop means that he like basically at that moment it knows how he's going to Mm -hmm. die so yeah yeah i was just a little surprised because it seemed it seemed like Mira, not Bran, was triggering something there. I mean, it is her words. Mm-hmm. She is the one saying, hold the door. Because Bran is out of it. He's right. not speaking at all. So that is happenstance. It's just the way that it sort of played out. But they both 
essentially do it together that she's telling Hodor to stay back behind while mm-hmm. she gets Bran out. So they're, you know, the priority is, of course, keeping Bran safe, who is in the middle of his download. Yeah. <laughs> the progress bar has not filled. Do not shut off the computer. <laughs> um, Do not restart. Yeah, you'll, you'll, all your data will get corrupted if you, you stop now. So. <sighs> that, just that feeling, I'm like, that's that part is sort of lame. Again, with the sort, like, that we don't know how much... Lars von Sydow even says that he's not ready mm-hmm. and that he gives us some like data download. Mm-hmm. And that's a little silly, but it's all right. Benjen will say in the next episode that he will be ready. So now we've known that's changed in the moment that they were running away. Yeah. So a gigantic, very elaborate scene with, with a heartbreaking finale. We like Hodor. Yeah. And to not only have him be gone from the show and have, see his demise, but also to see sort of this tragedy upon tragedy of like how he came to be was all kind of culminating in this one moment. Yeah, that his whole life has basically hinged on this sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a tearjerker. Yeah, and that Bran is continuing to use the people around him, yeah. and that there's something. You know, I think a lot of the that All Shift X video about Blood Raven sort of hints at that everything's not like all hugs and roses mm-hmm. up uh, up beyond the wall, and sort of there's there's maybe some actual dark evil magic at works with this kind of stuff. Yeah, and that also its aims. Well, we may think we know what they are. They may not be just like fighting on the side of the people that we like mm-hmm. and to keep the whole world safe. Yeah. It may not be that at all. Right. So. so. Yeah. So the next episode basically starts exactly where, well, not exactly, close to where this one leaves off. So. Yeah. So you've got uh, a recap for this one. You want to go through what happens in Blood of My Blood. Mm-hmm. Still fleeing the whites, Mira and Bran run through the woods. Bran sees a series of visions, and Benjen comes to the rescue when it seems Mira and Bran will be killed. Sam and Gilly arrive at Hornhill and have a nice meeting with his mother and sister, a terrible dinner with his father, and eventually decide to leave together with Sam's family sword, Heartsbane. The High Sparrow lets Tommen see Marjorie before her Walk of Atonement, and she seems changed. She speaks frankly about her past motivations. Arya watches Lady Crane play Cersei again, and poisons her rum. Shortly after, though, she changes her mind and reveals the poison and the other actress that wants Lady Crane dead. The waif sees this and gets Jacken's blessing to kill Arya. Meanwhile, Arya has reclaimed her sword needle from where she hid it. The Tyrell army marches into King's Landing and prepares to face off with the Sparrows, but they have been outmaneuvered by the High Sparrow, who has already convinced Tommen to support him. Walder Frey is upset at his sons for losing Riverrun, and reminds them and the audience that he still has Edmure Tully. As Danny is riding back to Marine with the Dothraki, Drogon shows up and she uses the opportunity to convince all of the Dothraki to follow her and take over Westeros. Yeah. So another pretty big one goes goes a lot of places and get a lot of time with Sam and Gilly for sure that yeah. really haven't really had much time at all this season. And we the, again like you were saying the, a direct continuation of a lot of the stuff that we that we had last season, particularly, or sorry, last episode, particularly the starting with Mira and Bran, who had our kind of cliffhanger finale where they were running away from the zombies, but we weren't sure exactly how far they could get. And I guess I kind of like this, that it wasn't just that Hodor like barricaded them all in and then they were fine, that they're still running, they didn't get that far, and that they need Benjen to come save them. Yeah, and I think 
Bran has all these visions, right? Mm-hmm. He sees dragons over King's Landing. He sees Air- Mad King Ares sort of demanding to burn them all stuff. He sees Jamie kill King Ares by stabbing him in the back. Mm-hmm. He sees the pyromancers putting a stash of wildfire under somewhere. Mm-hmm. He sees lots of scenes that we had in the show already, stuff with Ned being beheaded and a lot of White Walker visions as well he sees the things that john saw at heart home mm-hmm. and then he has remembers his own time in the visions and when the night king grabbed his arm and that kind of stuff too we don't necessarily have a lot of forward-looking visions from him as far mm-hmm. as uh, the white walkers are concerned there's a little bit of like ned back in time as well tower of joy kind of stuff right but the the only one that seems like it might be looking forward is maybe the dragons over King's Landing, but it's also possible that that's an older one too. We don't right. really know, and mm-hmm. I don't know that we ever really find out because we haven't had the dragons at King's Landing yet. So. They keep teasing that, yeah. but it's never actually happened. Mm-hmm. And then there's this also sort of weird. I don't think this was probably a book reveal because I know a lot of the book readers thought and hoped that there's this character Cold Hands mm-hmm. who essentially serves the same purpose in the books, but George R. R. Martin in a old copy of something that he sent to his editor said absolutely this is not benjen mm-hmm. so benjen and cold hands are not the same although the wb are referring to him as cold hands ben yeah. cold hands benjen yeah just to maybe mess with us i don't know i don't know i mean it's certainly all the signs certainly seem to be pointing to benjen being cold hands in the books so i don't know i guess i might re- even reserve my affirming what what george purportedly has said until he actually writes the book <laughs> and That's a good point. Uh, has cold hands continue to not be benjen or something like that like but maybe george has a plan for bringing benjen back in some other form so that's yeah. also possible bran i think here in this first scene when he comes out of the vision he says to mira they found us and he says it in a way that makes me feel that feels like he's shifted into into robot mode i noticed that and yeah. i was like okay that's I like that they seemingly seem to acknowledge this shift that once he's kind of come out of this vision, he actually has become a three-eyed raven and is a different entity than he was before. I agree that that's, that shows that they sort of knew what they were doing and this mm-hmm. actor was making conscious choices. I don't know that I ever felt... I also called him Lars von Sydow. It's Max von Sydow, <laughs> now that I'm thinking of it. That he didn't... I don't know that he acted robotically, though. No. So there's a little bit of, like... This is just like how it responds to being like how Bran responds to it because I I thought that the previous Three Eyed Raven he wasn't maybe a super emotive person but he also was an automaton yeah so yeah but I did I did notice that that he's already had this behavior change but on the other hand when we have the a return scene with him this this uh, later this episode seems to pull back on that a little bit mm-hmm. he seems to be a little bit back into being normal Bran and being kind of like oh, I'm not ready for this and all that kind of stuff. And I I was a little surprised that he, well, I wasn't surprised on first viewing because I didn't quite pick up on all these details and we didn't know it was coming. But having seen season seven and the way they characterize Bran there, this actually feels like a continuity error in in terms of the direction that the actor was given, that he he wasn't sort of like already in the zone. And by in the zone, I mean zoned out. Right. So... I enjoy the Hornhill scenes. I like seeing Sam's yeah. life. But do these seem necessary? Especially since he makes the decision 
very quickly that we are not going to stay here. We're going to go to Old Town. I think it's a long walk for what's here. It's a it's a way of introducing us to Randall Tarley, who it was a little unclear if we were going to get to see him, and Dickon, who they recast later. Mm-hmm. And actually, they don't give him as much to do as I as I thought that they did here. He's not actually very antagonistic to Sam. He seems like he's a little maybe full of himself, but not in a way that's actually like mean or anything. Or worse than we've seen of anyone yeah. else. And so, if anything, he's. He's also seems a little afraid of his father and it's kind of like, oh, father is speaking. I'll mm-hmm. wait and see what, what his judgment is. So I feel like there was a deficit of Sam and Gilly material here. And so they kind of loaded all, all in on this. It's a little expository as well with the whole thing with the sword and like him pointing it out very specifically <laughs> and then Sam purposely getting it. it really, the... Plot-wise, the point of this whole thing was that Sam got his Valyrian steel sword. Right, and I and I wonder if that's because they're going to have uh, John and Sam back to back with Valyrian swords and a bunch of White Walkers. One imagines. I I mean, I, do I hope so? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I also felt that this was mostly about the sword, mm-hmm. and therefore, as much as I and I really like Lady Tarly the way she stands up to Randall Tarly, who's just a big jerk. The rest of it just seemed like were there. I feel like they're economizing for so many other things, and then this it was just like a lot of Horn Hill, and I didn't really know why. Yeah, it just seemed like it was like, well, we went through all the trouble of like having a getting a set here. Let's just actually like let's get our time out of it. I mean, it's fun to have makeover time for Gilly and mm-hmm. see like, oh, what would Gilly look like if she's wearing a pretty dress and with ringlets? Yeah. And that's funny, right? Because yeah. she's like, it's tough to walk. And she's, you know, just kind of teetering around mm-hmm. um, and being kind of cute in that way. I didn't think it's, it's bad or anything like that. It's just kind of a decent amount of time for... Um, I mean, I even liked it. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure why it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite a bit. Also, Horn Hill is gigantic. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> they have that shot of... The castle in the distance that's just, you know, this CG castle. But it seems like it's one of the biggest castles we've seen in this entire show. I think it's definitely bigger than what we see Highgarden. Yeah, in... it seems quite bigger than Winterfell's, too. Yeah. Although I, I, I did a little bit of a deep dive for this episode. And we, we you and I know, mm-hmm. that the Tyrells were not the first leaders of the Reach. Mm-hmm. That it was the Gardeners and they were killed by the Targaryens. But I guess at some point the Tarleys were kings. And so that maybe explains why they have such a fancy seat. Yeah. Could but, be. But yeah, no, I was I was like, damn, that's a really nice castle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would be upset if I had been disinherited. Mm-hmm. So we do another check-in with Arya and Bravos. She's still at the play, though we learn later that this is not the same viewing. This is probably a, a subsequent viewing of the show. And but we more or less pick up plot wise where we left off last time. And we see the the death of Joffrey at his wedding, though I don't think they have a Marjorie character up there, but I could be wrong. They do. They do. They okay. do. she um, is that the young actress with the? No, she's not the one playing Sansa, but they, she's very short. Okay. And she's got a large headdress. Okay. A flowered he- huh. headdress. <laughs> okay, I did not recall. But Arya, of course, is amused by this. It's clever the way they come up with some of the the props 
in the way that they yeah. kind of are able to stage it the way they have the birds come out of the pie is like mm-hmm. a string of like origami birds on a on a stick and joffrey's wearing this really tall <laughs> crown so Arya is amused at the death of joffrey she never got to see him die in real life and she always really wanted to <laughs> But she also has this moment of empathy where mm-hmm. it was during uh, Lady Crane's Cersei speech at the death of her son that Arya seems to realize like, oh, Cersei would feel real pain as much as as much as Arya hates her, mm-hmm. that she would have been really devastated at this. And she even gives Lady Crane pointers. And I was thinking like this is this play is such a weird funhouse reflection of our actual show because Arya is choosing Cersei over Sansa. Like, it may just be the actors, actresses mm. who play them, right? But there's, like, this weird, I don't know, just, like, this weird testing of loyalties and that she she finds Cersei so much more compelling in the play and decides to help her. And that translates into real life as yeah. well, right? I don't know. It's just, it's just sort of an interesting, an interesting exercise and an interesting reversal from what's happening in our mm-hmm. larger story. Yeah. I think L- Lady Crane's little speech as Cersei does stick out quite a bit. It is very different from the body fart joke laden uh, material that is essentially every other part of the play that we've seen. And then just to have this one moment where it's like, oh, actually, excuse me, we got to do a little dramatic acting here. (laughs) And everybody's like very convinced by it. Even Mm -hmm. Arya too, right? But Arya seems to, this material is very, rich in terms of uh, metaphor and talking about acting and talking about sort of trying to pretend you're somebody else when she's talking to lady crane backstage where lady crane thinks she's a stagehand of some kind and then says like oh i saw you in the the audience for multiple plays so she actually thinks that aria is a kind of a aspiring actor Mm -hmm. um that she wants to to emulate her so she maybe sees a fan here yeah and she says you know do you like pretending to be other people and it's unclear if Arya likes to pretend to be other people, but she always has to. Right. We've seen her as Harry. We've seen her as other people. It's even mm. more explicit in the books that she's always she's always a different character. Mm. That she's cat or she's horse face. Yeah, she... <laughs> I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. But... And she says her name is Mercy. So that's that's another one. We've we've talked a lot about the way the characters dole out Mercy here and mm-hmm. how often. A merciful character usually means that they're going to actually kill somebody else, mm-hmm. um, and they they view it as mercy of some kind. And there was certainly this question of if Arya likes acting and pretending to be other people, and she's always pretending to be other people, but she's also essentially pretending to be a faceless man here. Yeah, like she hasn't really bought into that whole concept, and so. I think the question being asked is like, why are you trying to portray this character? Like, and instead, wouldn't you rather take on the role that that you identify with more strongly? And that seems to really get to her mm-hmm. because, as you mentioned in the recap, she then, even though she has poisoned the rum, she comes back later and, and knocks it away out of her hand. And points to the Sansa actress as the person who's paid the faceless men to kill her. The waif was just hanging out, watching, waiting for her to yeah. fail. And so Arya goes and retrieves her sword, which I think we all knew she would because right. if she hadn't planned on it, she would have actually thrown it away. Mm-hmm. And then again, with I've, the way still throws me off so much because she said that Jacken promised her that she could kill Arya. And again, mm-hmm. it seems like the personal vendettas are something that all faceless men are supposed to be purged from. Mm-hmm. And the waif is not. Right. She really is relishing the opportunity 
to kill Arya. And we'll see later on that the Waif will end up killing Lady Crane. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you would think by the logic of the Faceless Men that there is the, the one death. Mm-hmm. And so then an additional death on top of that would be a no-no. I agree. I agree that that I mean, and and also we know that Jack and who knows what he thought, but he right. he says don't don't let her suffer. Mm-hmm. The waif is going to attack Arya in a really brutal way. Yeah, just like lots of gut stabbings. So it's just a yeah. The whole uh, I I like to think that I'm a careful viewer. I wish that they had made this story a little bit more clear to know like is the waif doing something actually with Jacken's blessing. Or has she also been sort of harboring these more personal desires mm-hmm. and trying to hide them from him? Because she doesn't try that hard I don't, to to look like she likes Arya. Mm-hmm. If if she was more double faced, two faced, yeah. I feel like that would if she was like smiling about Arya to his face, but then like trying to stab Arya when his back was turned. I don't know. I could see that setting the waif and Jockin maybe against one another a little bit more mm-hmm. clearly. You know, I, again, I think that this is a, a pair of episodes where, divorced from the rest of the the plot arc, it's like I really, I like the way that this these pair of episodes handle Arya's story and the way they're essentially able to bring in all these kind of rich loaded metaphors with acting and all yeah. this kind of stuff into the mix. I also say that she once she returns or retrieves Needle, she goes and like hides herself in a dark place, mm-hmm. and so we can see that this is maybe her plan all along is to wait in the dark for the waif because she's been trained to be in the dark. Mm-hmm. We'll see that this happens later. But if she if that's her plan, then the thing that she's going to do next episode is really stupid. <laughs> also, there's a very dramatic musical buildup to mm-hmm. Arya being in this room and then ultimately it crescendos with her blowing out the candle and then we cut to something else and it feels a little a little artificial. Yeah. As far as uh, building up attention there like it didn't seem like something was coming to get Arya right then and there. It didn't, wasn't, yeah. So it felt very uh, artificially amped up there when we could have just seen that's where Arya was and then go to the next thing. It, it right. didn't need uh, a dramatic tension. Right. And it will go on to make no sense in the next couple episodes. Yeah. So we also have this meeting between Tommen and Marjorie that the High Sparrow allows. Marjorie has changed her appearance. Her hair is different. Her clothes are different. But she's been allowed to bathe. She changes the way that she speaks. She's, uh, like I mentioned during the recap, she's very critical of the things that she did in the past that even though she, of all the characters she did the most of anyone we've seen Mm -hmm. for the poor, that it was in order to cultivate this image of being someone Mm -hmm. who does things for the poor. And then there's this sort of, I think she's trying to feel out Tommen's perceptions of the High Sparrow that Mm -hmm. she says like, he's not exactly what we thought he was is he mm-hmm. and Tommen agrees but i can't tell who is trying to convince who at this point yeah. i think marjorie has discovered that her way out is to give the high sparrow Tommen. i think mm-hmm. and so is she actually intuiting that Tommen likes the high sparrow maybe but she's also i think trying to talk him into liking the high sparrow yeah and he seemed Tommen seems to be swayed towards us anyway and I think that conversation, what you, you mentioned about, uh, you know, he's not exactly what he seems, is he? And the way that she plays off that response is they never quite get to, like, what they actually think about him. Mm-hmm. She cuts him off and has another sort of, like, vague phrase that also kind of goes unanswered. But it all feels on purpose. It's It just feels like 
they just get to this point where there's almost a nonverbal agreement and Tommen very much wants to sort of appease and be on Marjorie's side. And so he's basically agreeing with anything that she says. It doesn't quite even matter what yeah. she's going to say. And the only thing I think that sort of throws him for a loop is she talks about things going to be better in the future. And of course, Tommen liked how things were before she was taken because mm. it was... It was mostly sex. And yeah. so I think that he was, that he's a little bit like, what do you mean things are going to be different than they used to be? <laughs> right. And then there's the the big, what ends up being an anticlimax mm-hmm. of the Tyrell army marching into King's Landing. They're all very fancy. Mace Tyrell, <laughs> particularly. Gives a rousing speech. Yeah. And they march up to the Great Sept and challenge the High Sparrow. But there's no reason. Cause, and also Marjorie looks upset because she's sort of already organized what's going to happen. Right. It just seems like it's a, it's, a, it's a mess of plans that end up having some bad timing, right? If Marjorie wasn't doing her own internal plotting, this all would have likely worked out the way that Cersei and Jamie had planned. And they would have taken Marjorie and Tommen into custody and they would have killed the sparrows. Mm-hmm. Though... Probably there would have been some some wider conflicts because the people in the crowd definitely seem like they are on the side of the sparrows. Yes. They affirm what the high sparrow says. They sort of, when the high sparrow says that certain wrongs have been committed and like all this kind of stuff, they're very much like nodding in agreement. Yeah. As opposed to when the Tyrells and, and Jamie show up. Yeah, they don't like seem to like that much at all. And then the the image that shows that it's all gone sideways for uh, the Tyrells and Lannisters is that that Tommen is already in, in the sept, walks out and talks about mm-hmm. again this this idea of the twin pillars being the faith and the crown, and that now that there's like this new alliance between them, the Kingsguard have seven pointed stars mm-hmm. on their breastplates now, and Jamie rode a horse up a flight of stairs for nothing. But that was yeah. definitely shocking, <laughs> because how often do you see uh, a horse go upstairs? Not very running. often. And if you look very closely, it definitely seems like that was Nikolai Kostler Waldo. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that was some trickery or not, but it seems I, like... I thought so, too, that it looked like him, because yeah. they don't cut away, and yeah. Olena is angry and embarrassed. Um, mm-hmm. She thinks, like, oh, this has gone really wrong. And she says that he's beaten us, because... Mace doesn't understand what's happened. He literally says, like, what's happening? (laughs) And then Tommen demotes Jamie. Yeah. I guess. Strips him of his Kingsguard role. Um, Although Cersei thinks this is a good thing. Also, because Cersei, in the way that she's, like, sort of stepped in to, in some ways, into Tywin's shoes. Yeah. This is what Tywin wanted always. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, stop your whining and go represent us in the Riverlands. Yeah. Because we're going back to that plot. Right. <laughs> so we have to be uh, on board with this. And they're definitely on the same page. Jamie and Cersei are on the same mm-hmm. page as one another here. Even though, I mean, well, Jamie comes around, basically, yeah. to, to what Cersei is saying. And as, as much as he might not want to do it, he says that he would much prefer to give Bronn the biggest sack of gold mm-hmm. he, he's ever seen and uh, hire a bunch of killers and go in and kill the High Sparrow and all the other sparrows in defense of his son that he says outright mm-hmm. as Tommen. But Cersei's like, you would die in the process and that would make it all for naught. Because she's, we can see that she's also plotting. She's mm-hmm. got big plans. I guess my only question is I don't actually understand why it was her and Jamie's plan to save Marjorie in the first place. Right. Whatever. Well, it seems like it was maybe partially for the sake of Tommen and like 
keeping him in, in control in a certain degree. But they also they, could have blamed the Tyrells. The Tyrells yeah. would have been the one who were kill- the ones who were seen killing the High Sparrow and mm-hmm. the and the the small folk. This might be a, a two episode span where Cersei is like the least screen time. She has this one scene with Jamie, and that's it uh, across both these episodes. And so I don't know. She just doesn't quite get the time to say much of a piece i don't think or, or yeah. have much of an influence on things she's been banished to somewhere in the red keep seemingly so she can't participate in any of the events and it's just when jamie comes back to her very briefly that we get a little bit of her her motivations and what she thinks about all this stuff mm-hmm. and then we transition to the twins and walder frey just basically tells us reminds us all what happened at the red wedding and who killed whom and that you killed catlin and you killed talisa it's like okay we have edmure <laughs> and it was called the red wedding <laughs> yeah so that was that was funny unnecessary maybe but maybe not for everyone yeah and so that was a scene that was just to check in to make sure everyone was still on the same page right and then I sort of feel the same about Daenerys's last scene. That, like I said earlier, that I thought the Dothraki had already shown that they were all in, mm-hmm. that they were behind her because they all bowed down as she like as emerged from the flames. We get sort of the same scene for right. me, at least. I mean, she's she's repeating things that the Drog- that Drogo said, and so that maybe they really wanted her to say those things. But otherwise, I don't really. I don't know if I needed this again. It's is a unifying of the Dothraki with the dragon. We hadn't seen the dragon in that context, though. Mm-hmm. You know, she like just went behind the mountain and's like, "I'll be right back." Superman changing in the phone booth. Yeah, comes back with the dragon. I also think that I I don't really care for the way that they frame these shots when Daenerys is back on the dragon, sitting there. Daenerys is like very small on the screen, mm-hmm. and you just have this kind of almost nondescript like covering of about half the screen on a diagonal with with dragon scales and it's kind of tough to tell what's going on yeah where's our point of focus supposed to be and just feels like Daenerys is like peeking up (laughs) over the top so I don't think they found the right angle for that shot and I mean I know it's Amelia Clark on top of like a bright green straddle and that's all that's happening there and it's all just CG'd in later but that shot in particular didn't quite work and I don't know if it was the director or one of the showrunners. I think it was the director, Jack Bender here, who to me also looks a little bit like Dr. Jacoby from Twin Peaks. Yeah. I don't know if that's a reference that people will get. <laughs> he does. Uh, he wears like a very multicolored scarf in this, and he's got kind of wild, frizzy hair. Mm-hmm. But and I think it's him who says, she's not Hitler at Nuremberg, but she has the power. Huh. And because he wants it to be, he's uh, he's trying to hint at that, like, there's actually something kind of scary about this. Which I, I think I felt. Mm-hmm. I mean, because part of what prompts her to go behind the mountain and get Drogon is that Dario is talking again about her being a conqueror, mm-hmm. that she doesn't want to sit on a chair, which is, and this is something Drogo also co- called the throne a chair, mm-hmm. right? Devaluing it, that she's a conqueror. And then she goes around the mountain and gets her dragon. <laughs> And she gives her speech, and the thing, at least she leaves out the raping the women sure. and enslaving the children, but she does say, come with me, kill all of my enemies mm-hmm. in their metal suits, tear down their stone houses. And this is after being sort of reminded again by Dario that she is a conqueror. So I think there is something sort of scary about it, although 
I really don't feel like the show ever makes that explicit. Yeah. They still want us to support the not Hitler at Nuremberg. Yes. I think maybe I'll be curious to see it play out, see what exactly this ends up being, but think maybe it's Tyrion continuously talking her off the edge of the cliff and maybe that she has these these instincts and other people whispering in her that that's what she should be doing but materian's able to talk her out of it and and convince her to forge more of a, a middle path i know but, that he and Varys have that conversation mm-hmm. so that if if that's it that's fine but yeah right now all all signs are pointing to Daenerys as conqueror and maybe conqueror is not a good thing to be yeah you know i would have thought this whole like fight and kill to reclaim birthright sort of deal yeah maybe, uh, not the the truest of virtues <laughs> indeed <laughs> yeah so even as as good as the doors finale was i thought that this one it, it didn't do it for me no it falls a little flat i mean i like the cg of a good Dragon Roar, that's cool looking. No, oh, I mean, and it looked good. I'm mm-hmm. not. I mean, the acting was good. I like, I like the way that the horses get sort of nervous as mm-hmm. Drogon approaches. Like that was all fine. Yeah. I just, in terms of, in terms of the narrative, unnecessary. Yeah, I think so too. And I think again, maybe even if even to be generous with it, not what I recall, not followed through in a way that sort of it justifies itself. And why mm-hmm. it needed to, to mm-hmm. be there and sort of gets us going on a certain path that uh, doesn't seem like comes to fruition. Yeah. And unfortunately, there were a lot of those mm-hmm. in this episode. So that's where we end, though. And next time we're going to have The Broken Man and No One, which presumably will be where Arya's story really goes downhill. And The Broken Man is... The Hound, I want to say? It is. Or maybe it's one of those parallels where it's a number of things. I think it's also Theon. So I think, but The Hound is something that I'm really looking forward to. You know what? Now that we're talking about it, though. So we had episode five was called The Door. Obviously, Mm -hmm. pretty literal talking about The Door. I don't necessarily think that one was a broad metaphor in any way. Mm -hmm. This one's called Blood of My Blood. Talked about here in the final scene with Daenerys saying, everyone is my blood rider now. But... Do you feel like Blood of My Blood has any kind of implications throughout any anywhere else in this episode? Well, we have some people meeting each other. Like, so Bran sees Benjen, who is mm-hmm. the blood of his blood. Sam and Gilly meet Sam's family, who mm-hmm. is the blood of, of Sam's blood. Yeah. So I think, although those are a little bit of a stretch, but I think it could also apply to people seeing each other who haven't for a long time mm-hmm. like and sort of family relationships. Yeah, that kind of that that reunion or sorts. I I could get on board with that. Yeah, but it's that one's not. Clear. I mean, if we if we remember that the Dothraki writers call each other "blood of my blood," to some people, this title might have been a total mystery. Yeah, it just seemed like even watching it, it was kind of like "blood of my blood." Like, why did they go with that one again? Because mm. the door was obviously the iconic part of that episode. Sure. This, not the most iconic part of this episode, though. I don't know. I'd say this episode had a ton of like huge iconic moments anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of plot movements happening, but nothing that's the most profound thing that you would necessarily feel like, oh, we got to name the episode after that. Yeah. So they just kind of picked another Game of Thrones phrase, seemingly. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? There's a lot of broad metaphor implications to that. Right. <laughs> so 
All right, well, that, that will wrap us up for this time, though. If you want to check out all of our podcasts, themummersfarce.libsyn.com is where you can find those, or you can follow us on Twitter at themummersfarcepod, being our handle there. Um, we're also on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and lots of places now, so whatever fine podcasts are freely available. <laughs> and you can send us an email at themummersfarcepodcast at gmail.com if you have any comments or questions. So that sets us up for two more episodes worth of season six next time and two more episodes of season six podcasts actually still to go here but yeah it's getting towards the, the end here wow <laughs> yeah but uh we'll, we'll talk about that once we get there yeah all okay. right thanks dan all right see you next time bye